Hello and welcome to the Success Secret Podcast with Ross Hussain Talib. I am excited to introduce you to a series of conversations with some of the most successful and inspiring individuals from various industries. My aim is to dive into the stories behind their success and explore the knowledge, strategies, habits, mindsets, and wisdom that have propelled their success. Each episode of the Success Secret Podcast will feature a different guest who will share their unique journey, the challenges they faced, and the lessons they have learned along the way. I will also be covering topics from entrepreneurship and innovation to leadership and personal development. Whether you are an inspiring entrepreneur, a seasoned business professional, or just someone looking to improve your life, the Success Secret Podcast is for you. My goal is to bring you valuable insights and inspiration that will help you achieve your own success in business and life. So get ready to learn and be inspired. The Success Secret Podcast starts now. In this episode, I have with me Rick De La Rata. He is now considered by many to be one of the finest singers, pianists performing today and one of the only a handful jazz artists who can make a successful musical presentation to a large audience without having to abandon the true art form of jazz. Rick De La Rata is considered to be an innovator and a visionary. So let's back a little bit, not a little bit, actually a while. <laughs> okay. So tell us a little bit about you. How did you start out? What got you involved in music, in jazz? Is it Was it from childhood? Childhood? What's your story in this regard? Well, a, a piano came into um, the you know my house when I was a kid growing up on Christmas Eve. So, and I was waiting to catch Santa Claus because I fell asleep every year. You know, I was trying and trying and I'd fall asleep. And I did everything I could to stay awake. And when this piano came in, I had to be very careful because my parents didn't like this activity of mine trying to catch Santa Claus. So, you know, they were hoping that I was asleep already. And when the uh, piano came into the house, I uh, happened to be able to catch that it was a kind of a heavy fat man at the back moving that piano in. So I assumed that was Santa Claus. So that's what got me to start trying to figure out what this was. I figured if Santa brought it in, there must be a reason I better figure it out, you know? So that kind of started it. And it also started improvisation because by trying to learn it on my own, I was kind of playing and improvising and listening, that kind of thing. Um, that led to studying music and, uh, you know, I really didn't know anything about jazz because, you know, as you know, it's, it's not played on the, you know, the radio, it wasn't played on the radio at that time. You know, maybe I was hearing, uh, the bands that you liked, you talk about, you like, but before that, the period before that, you know, the, um, you know, the rock bands and all that. And I liked that music a lot. Um, and I was studying classical music because I kind of got caught trying to learn the piano on my own secretly. So my parents had me start taking piano lessons. So I'm learning classical music. I'm listening to the music on the radio. And then I'm in a library. And just by accident, I opened a drawer. And in the drawer, I saw all these records. And I was like, what is, you know, what is this? This is very strange. It was almost like I discovered something by accident. You know, it wasn't on display. You had to open the drawer. And I was like, who are all these guys and what is this? And I started taking those records out of the library and listening to them. And that was kind of the start of the journey, the journey that never ends because jazz is a, just a giant ocean of contribution by so many people. And, you know, 
even the jazz artist is hoping to make his little drop in the water. So you, you keep learning and the studying and the learning is part of the enjoyment of it, as well as the opportunity to reach people for the first time. Um, again, as is part of my, a little kind of a challenge, you know, I'd like to be able to, um, I'd like to be able to deliver jazz in a way that people still hear the art form, but there, it doesn't all go flying over their head so they don't understand it and they have an enjoyable experience with it. So basically, did you taught yourself how to play the piano? Well, I was teaching myself how to play, like improvisation and stuff, but then I was studying classical music, you know, the great classical composers of the, of, you know, the 1800s, 1700s, etc. you know, whether it was Mozart or Beethoven or Chopin, etc. Um, and then I, you know, by studying, I knew how to read music and those kind of things. So I was kind of a functional musician relatively early. Um, I had a paper route. I was a paper boy. So, you know, I don't know if they still have that because people now do things digitally. But back then, everything was, you know, and, and the paper would be printed. You, they drop the papers off. You'd have a little bicycle. You took the paper on the bicycle. You throw it. You know, I used to love to throw the paper at the house. You know, I used to break the screen door sometimes, and I would lose money on my paper route because I broke two or three screen doors. I have to pay for them out of my paper route money. It was a loss. But anyway, uh, you know, the idea was to hit the porch and not break the window. So, so I'm playing now. So anyway, I'm doing that. And what's happening is I'm starting to get pretty ambitious on the paper route. I've got, you know, uh, a, a route in the morning. Some another paper boy gave me his paper route next to his. Then I got the afternoon route, which was up where I lived. But then the music stuff started coming. My um, my homeroom teacher, he had his sons played the guitar and bass, I think, uh, or two guitars. I'm pretty sure it was guitar and one played guitar, one played bass. And they wanted to get a drummer and have another guy. And they wanted to have this band that played in the school dances. So he wanted me to play in that band. So I got in that band and we started, you know, playing in the, in the little school parties, proms, playing the music on the rate from the radio, you know, Elton John, Grand Funk Railroad, these bands that were had the top 40 hits. Then I, um, from there, my mother, was the church organist and she wanted me to play, take over for her and play in the church. So now I'm doing the church organist. I got that bit. Then another person, he played the grown-up parties. He was a grown-up, you know, he was as old as my parents. And he was a drummer and he needed me and his band to play all these private parties, even though I wasn't old enough. We would go into, you know, places where you had to be 18 and all that. And they said, look, you know, they're not going to throw you out because we won't have a piano player. So just don't say anything. We'll bring you in, we'll bring you out. Everything will be fine. And, um, you know, so, so I would go in there, you know, and they gave me some free drinks too. I was underage, but anyway, he would drive me home so that I, you know, I didn't have to worry about any of that, but this guy would pick me up, bring me there, drive me home. So all three of these things going on, I had to quit the paper route. And that was the last job that I ever had, you know, as far as a non-music job was the paper. Mm -hmm. I had my first and my last. Well, you know, there's still time to go, so who knows? But it's the only job up until now. <laughs> I, I want to ask you about the process when you were learning, because like people in general, when they learn anything, whether it's music, how to play an instrument or a new language or whatever it is that they are learning, sometimes it gets frustrating for them to process to the next uh, point. 
was it like this for you or did you enjoy the process of learning more every day and failing and trying again and succeeding? Well, I kind of enjoyed, I, once I started learning on my own, which was right away, I kind of enjoyed the, the process of exploring on my own. So I enjoyed that, but I couldn't do it all the time because sometimes they'd be listening. My mother would be listening. Well, they wanted me to practice with the lesson, the lesson, you know? So, uh, but basically the teacher I had, she kind of really thought I was talented at, at classical piano. So um, I didn't want to let her down, to be honest with you. You know, she took so much of an interest in me and I could tell I was kind of her prize student. You know, I was her really, she really thought I was going to be something in music. So I would kind of learn my lesson so I wouldn't let her down just well enough, you know, not to let her down. And then I would kind of explore when nobody was paying attention, which was a lot of times because, you know, my mo people had to do stuff in the house and they were busy with other things. So they couldn't really listen to what I was practicing. And if I did practice, I was kind of left alone, you know. So sometimes, you know, if I wasn't practicing, they, I, you know, I, I, I'd have to be raking leaves or, you know, splitting wood, things like that, which I did anyway. But, you know, I, you know, if they noticed I was at the piano, you know, at that time, they wouldn't, they couldn't really ask me because I was already occupied. You know what I mean? What time did you think you started to be good at it? And uh, how long did it take you? Because like, like I mentioned earlier, people get frustrated and quit. So how long it took you to be good at it and realize now that I am really good at this and I can now go to, let's say, another level, expert level? Well, you know, very early on, I was playing my classical pieces with quite a bit of maturity. Now, that could be because my father was a musician before he became a lawyer, but he was a musician at one time. He played the French horn and he played classical music. My mother also played the organ in church. So you know, I had the musical background, so I was hearing music, maybe. Uh, my parents used to play Mozart concertos. My father would play the French horn, and my mother would play the orchestral piece, and that, and that was just, I was absolutely awed by that. I just thought it was incredible that they were able to do this. Um, and it wasn't often that they did it, but every now and then I was so impressed by that. So I just don't know. I liked music a lot, so I did have... Um, Maybe I had a little, I had a few little advantages along that line. Um, but as far as frustrating, jazz, when I got into jazz, that can be frustrating because there's so many, there's so much going on in that genre uh, because you can incorporate classical harmonies into jazz. Um, you can study the masters, which you have to do to some degree. But I mean, some people are incredible at studying the masters. They you know, transcribe all of their notes and they sound like three or four of their favorite, you know, musicians, you know, um, then you have the person who wants to sound like himself. Um, and that's, you know, a whole nother journey. So it can be frustrating. Uh, jazz itself can be frustrating just trying to, you know, uh, there, because there's so much, uh, uh, you have to be careful that you, you know, realize, Hey, there's only so much time in a day. 
and I have to choose what I want to do. And not only that, but you have to be patient. So it's really important, classical music as well, take a one bar and master that one bar and you won't feel overwhelmed. Because a lot of, I think what you're talking about is a person looks at like the whole uh, history of jazz and they're overwhelmed because, you know, they'll never be able to play it all. And the person looks at the whole classical piece. Oh my God, this is crazy. It's, oh, it's a, and then I get five pages, you know, or three pages. Oh, this is, you know. So try to focus on a little tiny piece and learn that and then see if you can take that little piece you learn and use it to your advantage to learn the other parts. So I think those are important things to know. So, so what, what excites you about the business, this business or industry today compared to like, for example, 20 years ago, is there a difference? What excites me? Well, what it has excited me uh, is the business I created. So what happened is, um, you know, through jazz, you are studying creativity and I was improvising and, and, and it probably sparked creativeness in me or innovativeness, you know, doing it with music all the time. So, um, I'm not, uh, you know, I, I had traveled all over the world as a musician and, and I played all styles of music too. And I've enjoyed them all too, but I was always studying jazz because it was just, it's a never ending study. I mean, you're really a student forever. Even if you're a teacher, you're still a student. Uh, you're, you might be teaching somebody this, but you're in your head are trying to learn this because you know, you're studying that. So I played all over the world uh, with lots of different bands and, but, and with my own uh, groups because I was, my CDs had come out and I was a, a leader. When 9-11 hit, I wrote a poem called Jazz for Peace on that day, watching that because I was, I was living so close to that, to that World Trade Center. Um, and I, it started to take on a life of its own. And um, I uh, read that poem at a jazz festival. See, the whole country was closed for uh, like a, a couple of weeks, I think. And then it opened just in time for me to go to a jazz festival where I read the poem. Then the next concert, I put the poem to music and they announced that, you know, I'd started up the concert with Jazz for Peace and I was starting to take traction on its own. I was getting, it had already been launched by, you know, this publicity. And I started to create things with Jazz for Peace that fit what I had learned from being a musician, you know, because from being a musician, I had learned things. I had learned that, you know, you can transcend, um, you know, things like uh, language barriers and, uh, you know, uh, religious barriers and, uh, you know, uh, um, distance barriers and all, all kinds of things, you know, creed and culture and all kinds of stuff could be transcended through music. And I realized that, you know, music uh, had a healing power so it could help people. And after a while with Jazz for Peace, just, you know, with this new putting on uh, Jazz for Peace concerts, etc., I started to realize that you could help outstanding causes. And by helping outstanding causes, you could actually redefine the definition of peace, you know, mm -hmm. because we had thought that peace was all oh, you stand up for this and you flower power and, you know, you stand in front of the, 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 the tank in Tiananmen Square and all these kinds of things. But in truth, you can help outstanding causes and that creates that's a path to peace, because not only are you helping that cause, but you're helping all the people that the cause helps. So what we would do is start helping those who are helping others. And 
Um, what I did because of the publicity I received at the beginning of, of you know, those concerts, uh, and as I continued, I had asked my manager to contact the United Nations and tell them that I wanted to unite Israeli, Palestinian, and American jazz musicians at the United Nations in the very first Jazz for Peace concert. And um, uh, because I had already noticed that, uh, you know, there's this problem over there where you are in Jordan, you know, you had the Israelis and Palestinians uh, at war. I didn't know the extent of it, but I knew they were supposedly at war. Yet every time I ran into an Israeli and a Palestinian together with music, you couldn't tell there was any problem. They were, you know, they were getting along just fine around me. And they were, we were all having a great time playing jazz, sometimes in someone's apartment, sometimes, you know, in a, in a club. So, uh, so that concert actually united Israeli, Palestinians, and Americans. And um, that, took, that took a year to get together. So 9-11 ja uh, so was 2001. That concert was September 25th, 2002 at the United Nations. And that concert started to get noticed it didn't get noticed right then and there that much, in my opinion. But as time went on and the Benefit Concert Series continued, it started to get noticed. And I started to get letters from people, people who were world leaders. Even the president of the United States at that time sent me a letter. And they would just tell me that, you know, we want you to know that that was really significant. What you did that day or, you know, we you know what I mean? It's the fifth anniversary of it. And, hey, that was really, you know, now that we see the direction the world is going and all these problems, you know, what you did and what you're doing with your Benefit Concert Series is very significant. It's, it, it makes a difference in our world. And I realize that we have a problem with things kind of upside down because of the, you know, the, we, the capitalist format that we, you know, live in and many people thrive in it and they're used to it and they're addicted to it somewhat. Uh, but the problem with it is, you know, you have a situation where unfortunately things that, generate income, you know, like military, you know, bombs and, the, you know, all those kinds of stuff generates lots of money. So that's being funded at 100 percent and you have peace being funded at zero percent. Yet I'm, you know, if you look at what Jazz for Peace does and we welcome people to look at it, you'll see all that we've achieved with nothing. What if you were to fund what if you were to fund war at 99 percent instead of 100? Just take that one percent and fund peace. Who knows what would happen? Because if you go to, um, we have a, a website called, it's a WordPress site, actually, jazzforpeace.org is our website, but jazzforpeace.wordpress.com forward slash about. And that website has a picture of our empowerment tree and it has testimonials. It has, uh, it also has quotes from the world leaders who sent me the letters, you know, from all over Kenya, Africa, the prime minister, all kinds of places. And, um, uh, below that is the testimonials from all the events. There have been over 850. And you can read from the actual people that we performed for and whose organizations we helped and in their own words, what they had to say about it. And it's, you know, it's kind of uh, amazing to me. You know, it's it's amazing to me. So, so let me back a little bit. You mentioned that and it's known like music uh, like you mentioned, it's it crosses the barriers of language, cultures, these kind of things. And uh, if you, I'm sure you know, like for example, the silent uh, TV shows or movies, even these connect with a lot of people 
because even if they don't speak so why do you think that music can connect people on multiple levels though maybe sometimes they don't understand what they are listening to actually well i'll tell you why um if you if you ever type into google my name and then famous quote so you would put rick delarada and then you would put famous quote my quote comes up for some reason uh i had an interview way back now this was in the days just after 9-11 someone had interviewed me because of that poem and someone interviewed me and that just a sentence in the article was lifted and became a famous quote and in that quote i actually say that if we fill our souls up with qualities certain qualities like you know uh humanity and intellectualism and individualism and you know all of these sorts of things you know that we will have a better chance at avoiding the behavior that leads to destruction and it's just a simple quote the problem with the problem is as we get more destructive as a species that quote becomes more important so the quote is you know is in just it's used by all those famous quotes websites and the what basically from that quote music and the art form of jazz in particular as well has all of those qualities you know first and foremost it stimulates your intellect you know so music uh and children i mean if you go to anywhere um you know there's posters all over this office here Uh, there's, you see them behind me, but they're all over the place. And, and down there is a poster, uh, basically of the first concert that brought together, um, American and Afghanistan musicians. And that took place in, um, that took place in, uh, California. And so there was my band and there was a, a famous Afghanistan performer. I didn't know how famous he was until I got in a cab once and I was in the driving in the cab. And uh, the cab driver was driving. I said, hey, where are you from? Because I, I always ask people where they're from because I've probably been there, you know. He said, Afghanistan. I said, oh, I haven't been to your country, but I, I performed on a bill, a double bill with a supposedly a well-known Afghan. And we said, well, who was it? And I said, and, and I said it was Najin Nawabi, something like that. He was like, oh, my God, is my favorite. You know, he had all his records and all that. So, so anyway, um, Anyway, that music was very different for me. I had never heard it before. I was like, wow, that is some holy Jesus. But again, that is stimulating the intellect of their people the same way that, you know, jazz, you know, so so it's a stimulator of the of the intellect, but it also has all of those other qualities that I mentioned together. And you know what? That's common ground with all people. We all have the potential to for these qualities. So that gives us a common ground to work with. So let me ask you this. What do you think the best advice that you have ever got and or received? The best advice I ever got or received. Um, hmm, there's been a lot. There's been a lot. Um, I think one of the best advice uh, that I read, this is somewhat recently, but just in studying something called Stoic philosophy It is that um, to, you know, not get overly emotional about that which you have no control over. Uh, because, you know, and, I, and that can save a lot of time because sometimes I find myself in situations where I'm so distraught or disappointed or upset about something. 
but I have no control over it. There's nothing I could do about that. There are certain things I can control. And I realize those are the things, the things I can control are the things that I can put a lot of emotion and energy into because I actually can affect the outcome. But if I, if I have no, if it's not something I can control, uh, that could be wasted energy. I could get all tired out over that. And then I don't have any energy left to get through the day for the things I can make a difference with. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. Well, one of the simple things is traffic being jammed in traffic. So a lot of, <laughs> yeah, well, you can't control that. <laughs> yeah. So here's an interesting quality that music can help you with traffic. If you're a musician, see, um, one time someone told me that they studied with a famous jazz musician and they asked him, how did you get so good? And the person would say, well, he would practice away from his instrument, you know, because, you know, sometimes he'd be on, you, you know, you're on tour, you're on the road, you're in practice, but some, you're in traffic, right? You can't get to your instrument. So now you're ruining your plastic time. You think it's getting lost. And instead of getting all mad because you're stuck in traffic, you can actually practice in your mind. And then guess what? You're loving the traffic because you're getting your practicing done. If you had to move and you were had to concentrate on the road, you wouldn't be able to practice. But because you're stuck, you're practicing and you're actually start thinking, boy, I could use a little more traffic. Let's jam it up some more so I can practice some more. And it uh, turns the tables on it. Yeah. At least listen to some music while you're driving. So that will take the pressure off, I guess. So that could do it as well, of course. Yeah. Dumb jazz. So what or or what or who inspires you to do what you do? You know, the great thing about what I'm doing is um I can be inspired because I'm a musician, so I can be inspired by great jazz musicians or great or great musicians in general. Like, you know, today when I play a little song for you, I'm actually going to play something that's not even by a jazz musician as part of the medley. Uh, so, you know, you can be inspired by that. But, but because I'm doing something in philanthropy and humanity, um, I get to draw the inspiration from people like a, a Gandhi or a Martin Luther King or, you know, a Jesus or, you know, anyone who has contributed to humanity, to, you know, uh, do you know what I mean? All religions have someone that is amazing, you know, Buddha, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, you know, you know, in the Muslim religion, all of them. And you can be inspired by that person who d who does good or who did good in accordance with those scriptures. That person can be inspirational to you. Mm, yeah, that's a good idea. So what something have you learned recently that made you think, oh, that's a, that, that's amazing that I have learned? Um. Well, this is something that's interesting when you're studying, when you're a musician, a jazz musician, because what happens is you'll learn one concept and that'll open up the door to another concept. So as a jazz musician, you spend most of your time thinking, how did I even go so long playing without learning that? Because you just realize that that's in front of you to learn it. But you do get, once you, once you kind of get that and it comes into your playing, you have those few days where you can feel like, wow, I can't believe I can play this, you know? Um, so, so that'll be, you know, you'll have that feeling, but then the problem is that will open up another door of something you don't know and now you have to learn that again so that could be for music but also in life um a lot of times you make a mistake 
and you learn from it. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, you, you're, it's a great opportunity to, to learn from, from each mistake. So if you had the opportunity to go back in time, is there something that you would do differently or do you think, uh, you know, everything is fine? You know, uh, I was asked that recently, too, in a print article. Someone sent me questions uh, for, for a print article. And I think that my answer to that was, if I could go back in time, you know, see, I, I wouldn't want to get rid of the mistakes. A lot of times it's very strange because what I wanted to do did not work. I was rejected or I tried to do something where there was corruption and I couldn't get accepted because, you know, they, they only choose their, you know what I mean? Or for whatever reason, um, and, uh, or, or for whatever the reason was, I couldn't, I'm trying to do this and I'm ending up doing that. But that opened doors that I wouldn't trade for to get this. So, you know, the, these opportunities I've had to go to all these different places that I never would have been able to go to, I wouldn't trade. So I wouldn't, even like my, my mistakes, I wouldn't trade for because I, I was able to learn from them. the only thing I would probably like to do is it would be nice if you could learn quickly from your mistakes. So it would be nice if I could maybe learn faster, you know, because uh, sometimes you make a mistake. It takes you a while to learn your lesson. So uh, about learning faster. So, so what are the things that you would think yourself not good at, for example? You're a pretty good jazz player and pianist, but what things that you are not good at and like to, for example, delegate to other people? Well, you know, the, to be to be good at, you have to make choices. So in other words, uh, let's say you want to be a good musician. If you want to be a good musician, you can't, you know, have uh, three different jobs. You know, you can't be a bank teller and a, drive a cab and, you know, you know what I mean? Five other things. So you would, you would have to, you would have to make choices. You know, you would have to make choices. There's, there's lots of things I like to do, but I, I have to, I have to make a choice. I can't, you know, you can't, you can't throw the ball, then run and hit the ball, you know, then run out of the field and catch the ball. So you, you have to make those choices and, and that's what you have to decide. I mean, do I want to uh, excel? And as a musician, I mean, you, Hopefully, never really think you're good because there's always something in front of you to learn a new thing. Um, so what would you say for people who are listening to us that there are some tools or resources or even books that you recommend in general to people and maybe specifically to people who are, let's say, into music? Well, one thing I've been recommending lately, uh, which I brought up to you, one of those uh things earlier, uh, which was, you know, don't, don't uh, put too much energy into that, which you can't control. That actually comes from stoic philosophy and stoicism comes from uh, a Roman emperor. And apparently there were five good Roman emperors and there were a lot of bad ones, apparently crazy Roman <laughs> emperors, but this one guy ruled Rome for 32 years. His name was Marcus Aurelius. And the crazy thing is he wrote notes to himself all the time. Then he died and people found the notes and they were not meant for anyone else to read. They were never meant to be published. It was never part of a book. He was never going to try and sell it. So it wasn't anything that he was changing to make a sale. You know what I mean? Oh, let's make the book so everybody will like it. It was just his own notes 
of going through life. And then they published that, which became a book called Meditations. Um, I never really read the whole book per se, but I've read a lot of excerpts from it. But just from him and other people that have that were like-minded, you know, they also had these names like Epictetus and these other Greek names. But then there's a bunch of those guys and they kind of put them together and they call it Stoic philosophy. And I think that's helpful for a, a musician. It could be helpful for anybody, but I think it could be very helpful for a musician to just to put things in perspective, you know, because a lot of times you might have to give up, let's say, fame in order to achieve in the arts, you know, because you might not be able to be at every cocktail party schmoozing with this guy or that guy, because you might have to be practicing in order to, you know, get to the next level of your, of your musical goal or composing or whatever it is. Um, so you have to, because, you know, sometimes we're getting messages like, Oh, this is the ideal person of society, you know, but then you see the person's life and, it was a train wreck, you know, he might have had millions of dollars, but he was unhappy, uh, you know, he was became drug addicted and died and, you know, this and that. Uh, and some some people don't really achieve much beyond, you know, uh, you know, a superficial type of financial wealth or et cetera. So, you know, that philosophy can kind of help you put things into perspective, um, you know, and, and realize that, you know, a lot of wealth comes from within, first of all, but not everything you see is exactly that's being presented to you is exactly what it is. You know, it's like, as you know, Facebook, where I think this is streaming live. You know, we all know that everyone puts their best six minutes, you know, their best two minutes of the day on Facebook. You know what I mean? It's not a reflection of their whole life. And it's easy for people on social media. They look at some. Oh, my God. You know, they're having a great day, but they, their day was just ruined because they think, wow, I should have been doing that. Not really. You're doing your thing. You're having a great day. And he's just putting up a, a minute or two, you know, be happy for his joy. But don't think that all 24 hours were like that. What would you say one takeaway for this episode for the Success Secret Nation, Rick? Well, as a takeaway, I would like people to consider the possibility that um, you yourself can play a significant role in making our world better. What we're doing right now is we're watching. We're watching YouTube, we're watching podcasts, we're watching this and that, and looking to see how everybody else is gonna solve the problems of the world. You follow me? But let's say, for example, you in Jordan could make a phenomenal difference in your community simply by identifying an outstanding cause, taking this podcast, showing it to them and saying, hey, this person has been to Pakistan. He's been to Nepal. He's been to, I just finished his ninth tour, uh, event in Africa. You know, he's done 850 concerts. Why does, why did, you know, why don't we have him do uh, something for the people of Jordan, you know, and now That's they- cool. <laughs> Yeah. And so now, you know, they do that. I come to Jordan. I see all, you know, hopefully you guys show me around when I get there because I, I want to see the country and all that and enjoy myself. Yes. But at the same time, we do something for an incredible cause in Jordan. Like when I was in Pakistan, we helped the literacy problem, you know, um, you know what I mean? So uh, when I was in Brazil, we helped uh, the uh, orphan, the, the homeless problem with orphans. So, you know, uh, and, and food issues. So, you know, 
uh, we do something like that, and now we're, you know, you actually have ma- have been a part of making, you know, of, of world peace, even though people don't think that, they think, oh, well, I, I'm just little old me, but you're not. You have the ability to do uh, amazing things, as, as the example that I just gave just now. Yeah, so, so people have to take initiative to do things, not just stand still and look they at They can, things. and Jazz for Peace provides a place for you to take an initiative if you, you know, because well, a lot of people say, geez, I want to do something, I don't know what. Well, you know, you could just contact Jazz for Peace and we can, we can help you because we have a, a model that has helped over 850 outstanding causes and we can show that model to that person and they themselves, wow, let me, let me, let me show this to, you know, this outstanding cause or this, you know, someone recently was telling me they want to help. They love animals and they want to, they want to show it to an organization that helps animals and which we've already done all over the world. And, you know, now that's making, you know what I mean? Now they're in it. Now they're actually making a, contri- a contribution to something that's going to affect someone in a profoundly positive way as the art form of jazz has a history of doing. Awesome. So can you now please share with us the two, three minutes piece that you play on? Sure. So what I'll do for you today, and this is an attempt because I know you're really not familiar with jazz. I'm going to recite the jazz for peace poem and just improvise like I was doing as a little kid trying to learn the piano. I'm going to start with that. So it's going to sound like underneath the poems, it sound like almost what I was trying to do when I was six years old. Then we're going to go to that, to a free improvisation that I'm going to make up. But it's going to be, it's called Free J.A. And that's, uh, that is uh, something that we're doing to kind of promote freedom of speech and also freedom of journalism. You know, journalism's journalists to be able to do their job and write what they see and not be persecuted for, you know, telling the truth. And uh, then we're going to go into a song. Yeah, then we're going to go into a song uh, that was actually made famous by Elvis Presley. So not a jazz artist at all, but it has a social um, awareness to it. The song It's called In the Ghetto. And it's one of the few songs uh, by him or by any pop artist at that time that had a, a that was social conscious in its lyrics. So we'll see if we'll see what happens. I hear jazz for peace coming through the trees and in my heart it fills me like a celebration I see the light Inspired by the past contributions of those that came before and laid the groundwork for us to build on in this universal language that is a gift for all mankind. And when we speak it, People are enlightened by the creativity and artistry that stands for peace and love and humanity 
intelligence that leads to reaching potential that we have in our soul.
and his mouth cries. Cool, very awesome. Awesome, thank you. Welcome. Very cool. Good, I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, hopefully that I hope that I wasn't the only one that watched that. It's actually amazing that to watch an artist live. So that was a great experience. <laughs> great, great, great. Awesome, awesome. Great. So Rick, where can people get in touch with you so can learn more about you, about your message? Sure. So, you know, um, like I said, one interesting thing to do is uh one thing I would say, watch your show and then after you've seen what you've seen, send us an email about what you thought, because uh, you can send the email to info, I-N-F-O, at jazzforpeace.org. So that's I-N-F-O for info at jazzforpeace, J-A-Z-Z-F-O-R-P-E-A-C-E dot O-R-G. Tell us what you thought. Believe it or not, that cre- that's easy letter A of the easy ABC steps for Jazz for Peace funding. So if you send that in, you've already completed easy letter A. Now, uh, that's what we call a seedling from a tree. So many seedlings stop. We get comments all the time. And it's like a little seedling. A tree will have hundreds of seedlings, you know. But if, if you're related to an outstanding cause, you've completed easy letter A with that comment. And now we grow that comment into funds because we go to easy letter B, which is sharing uh, we'll put it in a document, what you want to do, we'll, and we'll share it. You can share it with your other board members and friends, and they give their comments. That puts it into Roots, and then we expand that further, and that's, that completes the Roots planting, planting process. And now you've done your part with us for our slogan, which is help us plant the roots so we can grow your empowerment tree. So that's one easy way with just an email. Of course, jazzforpeace.org is our website and for me personally you know my name you can type in rick delarada famous quote as i told you but rickdelarada.com is my website rick thank you for being here very inspirational motivational and lively i would say so (laughs) awesome thank you for for your amazing soul and for your work thank you very much for being here today with me on this episode of the success secret podcast my pleasure thank you so much Thank you for listening to this episode of Success Grid. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you found value in the show, rate and leave a review on iTunes. For more resources, visit successgrid.net. Until next time.